0: Morning. We have a special treat. Uh, we have with us John and Kim Payne. John is the district superintendent of what is called the Forest Lakes District. Let me give you some background. Uh, Freedance is a part of what's called the Evangelical Free Church of America. The the E Free Church comprises of of about 1,500 churches throughout America that are united in our passion for helping people know Jesus. We want to help people grow and following Jesus. The E Free Church is passionate about making or just helping develop healthy, transformational churches. And within the E Free Church, there's the Forest Lakes District, which is Wisconsin and then the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And there are 124 e churches within that Forest Lakes District. And again, John is the current district superintendent of the Forest Lakes District. John and Kim were in town yesterday uh, facilitating a retreat for our leadership board here at the church. And um, and John, a couple of weeks ago, said, hey, I'm in town. Uh, you want me to preach for you? I said, yes, please. Um and so it's just a blessing to be able to have them here. It's a blessing to be able to get to know them both better, especially Kim. I've known John for a couple of years now, but especially to get to know Kim a little bit better. Uh, they've been a blessing to us so far, and they're going to be here with us this morning. I thought, what a great opportunity for them to get to know you and for you to get to know them as well. Um, so, John, why don't you come on up? Come um, John has been uh, the district superintendent of the Forest Lakes District for a little bit over two years now. Yes. He has 25 years of vocational ministry experience, starting out as a youth pastor, was on staff with Fellowship of Christian Athletes somewhere in there, interim senior pastor, senior pastor for a decade or so, right. yep. um, and now district superintendent. So a wealth of ministry experience. Um, I just want to say that I am so thankful to be part of the E-Free Church and the Forest Lakes District. Um, I mean... Just so many blessings. I think of how when I started here, I was a new pastor. I'd been in some campus ministry before, but I was new to pastoring a church. And Frieden's had, you know, some challenges to work through. And I joked many times that I had the, the district superintendent on speed dial. Um, his name was Ken. And it seemed like every week or two I'd call Ken up, Ken, this is going on, what do I do? And it was so helpful to have someone I could lean on and someone experienced who can just give me in the church some practical guidance through all different things we were navigating And then through the years, it's been a blessing just to have the support. Uh, The district leadership has been able to connect me with uh, some training networks, both regionally and also throughout the country. They have really been transformational for my ministry and therefore for the church and just district conferences and just other pastors, just a big blessing. And it's been a blessing to be able to have you all here this weekend. Uh, John is going to be continuing our Habits of Grace sermon series. Habits of Grace, it's also called Spiritual Disciplines, it's these practices that we can implement in our lives to help us to grow as, as followers of Christ, to enjoy Him, and to glorify Him in our daily lives. And so John is going to be talking this morning about the topic of prayer. And with that in mind, John, before I turn the mic fully over to you, how can we be praying for you?
1: Well, thank you. I, first prayer request that I would ask for is for wisdom. I... Uh, you never know when the phone rings, what's going to be on the other end of it with 124 churches and uh, just prayer for wisdom. And then I would also appreciate prayer for some travels. Uh, Kim and I are going on vacation, sorry to say going to Arizona this week. And then uh, I f- we fly back. Uh, Great timing. Yes, it is perfect timing. It's supposed to be 25 below in Wausau on Wednesday, so without wind chill, And so then uh, we're going to be in Arizona and then I fly back to Chicago and have Uh, some meetings at trinity and then from chicago i'm flying to the dominican republic where i'm uh, with two other pastors from our district i'm going to be hosting a pastor's conference for haitian and dominican pastors and be speaking down there the week after so long stretch where i'm going to be gone and not back till uh, i think the 16th of february so just prayer for travels and for kim
0: while i'm gone all right let's, let's pray for john and kim and then we'll turn the mic over fully to him Lord, we thank you for John, for Kim, for your calling in their life, for calling them, first of all, to be your children, your son and your daughter, for giving them a love for you and also giving them a love for your church. Jesus, we know that you shed your blood for your church. You love your church more than we can possibly love it. But, Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done through John and Kim through the years and the work you're continuing to do. And I pray that in in alignment with what he has asked for, that you will give him wisdom. And as he navigates uh, things with churches, as he he provides guidance and leadership and insight and at times, you know, challenging people to take steps of faith or to correct things that need to be addressed, Lord, I pray that he will not be leaning on his own understanding, but trusting fully in you, that you'll give him wisdom and insight from scripture and also give him wisdom in how to apply the experiences um, and knowledge that you've given him through the years as well. So I pray that you will continue to bless him and guide him as he ministers to churches and to individuals uh, throughout this region, but certainly beyond as well. We think also of the travels that are coming up, some travels certainly for pleasure. And I pray that you will give him him and Kim safety in all their travels and, and that when it's time to relax, they will be able to relax well. Enjoying each other, enjoying you, enjoying warmer weather. Um, We also pray, Lord, uh, for your blessing on on other travels, whether it's speaking engagements or training things or or learning opportunities. Lord, I pray for your blessing on all these different activities that he's involved in. Uh, May your hand of blessing be richly upon him. Um, Lord, we thank you for John. And just pray for your blessing on this time this morning that you will speak through him to us and that we, all of us gathered here, will have soft, teachable hearts to learn from you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, it's a great privilege for us to be here this morning. And uh, we just had a great time yesterday with your leadership team. And uh, we believe that this is such a healthy church. And it's a joy for us to be here and um, to continue on Habits of Grace this morning. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you. We're going to be in two locations in the New Testament The first one is in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. So if you want to open there and then kind of put your finger or part of your program in in that particular section of Scripture. The other section that we're going to be in is Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 10 and 11. So Luke 11 and then Matthew 6. And if you want to probably more put your bulletin in, in Matthew 6, we'll be coming back there. We'll start in Luke chapter 11. But thinking about this habit of grace particularly an encounter with with Jesus as it relates to prayer. Let me ask you a question this morning. Thinking about your prayer life, have you ever thought, uh, you know, prayer is something that's mystical and maybe hard for me to understand? Um, Or or a hard habit that, you know, I, I hear these stories of Puritans or great followers of Christ in, in years before, who you know would spend hours in prayer, and you sit there and say, "I, you know, I start to pray and I fall asleep." Anybody ever do that? Anybody for honesty in church? All right, <laughs> that that's happened to me. You know, I, I start praying and all of a sudden, you know, fall asleep. My dad used to say that's maybe one of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap, and yet when we think about prayer prayer is such a vital discipline it's such a vital part of our relationship with God there's a small town in Oklahoma now I don't know if this is totally true this story that goes back but the story has been told about this small town in Oklahoma that had a brewery and two churches probably Southern Baptist churches I don't know but two churches and a brewery and the owner of the brewery was just defiant against Christianity. He was an atheist and he just spoke out all the time about how he hated Christians. And this small town, everybody knew this. Well, the two churches decided that they were gonna host a prayer meeting and they were gonna come together and ask God to do something with this man who owned the brewery and take care of business. So they gathered on a Saturday night for prayer and as they were praying, a large lightning storm happened and just thinking about this, you've experienced this. <laughs> Lightning didn't strike the church. Lightning struck the brewery, and it burnt to the ground. Well, the owner of the brewery was livid because he heard that there was a prayer meeting the night before asking God to do something for intervention as him as the owner of the brewery and the brewery. And so it went to court, and the... Uh, judge as he's reviewing the facts and going over the case comes up with this conclusion he says I, I find this amazing and perplexing that an atheist would profess his belief in the power of prayer blaming the two churches for praying and saying that that was part of what led to what happened and then he said and the defendants all faithful church members who said they're Christ followers denied the power of prayer that caused the lightning to strike the church Now, I think that's probably a fictitious story, but it does display a little bit how sometimes we think about prayer. We were talking at lunch yesterday, and someone said, you know, really, everything that happens to us is part of God's providence. And there is disobedience that we do, but but God, we say, oh, that was providence, but we don't say something else that happens, that was providence. And yet, it is God who is at work in and through us. Sometimes as Christians we pray asking God to do certain things either in our lives or in the lives of others only to be totally surprised when God answers our prayers. So where do we start if our goal is to establish a legitimate communication with God as part of a daily rhythm of grace, as part of a discipline? We can find all too many sources. If you go on the internet you can find thousands of books that talk about prayer. What I'd like to do this morning is go to Jesus. I think he gives us maybe the best model for what prayer is. And so let's begin and let's look at what Jesus, the master communicator, the very son of God who spent more time, I believe, in successful active communication with his heavenly father than anyone else. And let's see what he has to say about prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What a great request. Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, when you pray, say. This version of the Lord's Prayer may be a little bit different than the one that we'll look at in in Matthew chapter 6. Many are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, and some of us have attended churches where it was recited each and every Sunday as part of the liturgy of the church background that maybe we came from. The Lord's Prayer, however, was not given to be just recited as a ritual. It was actually given to us as a blueprint for prayer by Jesus himself. There's something tremendously important about the way Jesus and disciples, when he said, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, and he said, when you pray, and In the parallel account in Matthew chapter 6, he also said, when you pray, do the following. The Lord's prayer was given to show the disciples how to pray. After all, that's what they asked. Lord, teach us, how should we pray? Elmer Towns, uh, uh, an author, said this way. He said, the effective prayer is not measured by how loud you pray or how long you pray, or even if you say the words of the Lord's Prayer again and again in a repetitious fashion. Your prayer life will not be effective if you are, I'm sorry, your prayer life will be effective if you are sincere, that is your approach, and if you ask for the right things in what you pray for. From this prayer, there's seven things, and if you, uh, in your program, if you want to write down these seven things that i think will help is the discipline of prayer and the habit of grace. If you're making a Walmart list, I won't know the difference, but I encourage you to jot down some things that maybe will be helpful in your prayer journey. First thing that I see about prayer and enjoying enjoying prayer as as a daily discipline of grace is prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a relationship. Luke chapter 11 verse 2 Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. Say, Father. We just sang, you're a good, good Father. It's who you are. Jesus is stating the importance of starting our prayers with the awareness that God is our Father. It was pretty revolutionary at the time when Jesus made this statement to his disciples because the common Aramaic word which uh, a child would address their father was the word, Abba, or, and, and so the disciples knew the word father, and they used the word, but no one under any circumstance would use Abba when speaking of a heavenly father. That was new verbiage to them. <laughs> Abba meant something like daddy, but with a more reverent and dearest father. So when Jesus came on the scene, he addressed God as father. All his prayers that he would address God were as father, And the Gospels record the use of father more than 60 times that Jesus used the term heavenly father or my father in reference to God. Yet in the Old Testament, that same term as God as a father was only used 14 times. And every single usage of the word father in the Old Testament, the 14 times, were never as an individual but always corporately as the children of Israel. So for Jesus to say to his disciples who had a Jewish background, when you pray, pray and call him your father, that was revolutionary to them. The relationship aspect, because the nation of Israel had prayed 14 times or referred to God as a father, but it was never as an individual in a personal way. It was always as a corporate nation. No one in the entire history of Israel had ever prayed to God the Father in the manner that Jesus was instructing his disciples. Jesus transformed the relationship with God from a distant and unapproachable deity to an intimate relationship with a heavenly Father. Now, perhaps you have a hindrance because of a relationship or a poor relationship or a lack of a relationship with your earthly father. And let me just encourage you that one way to overcome this is to think of God as being everything that you ever could wish for or dream of in an earthly father. And he is that and more. The beginning of effective prayer is the recognition that God possesses a father's heart, a father's love, a father's strength, and a father's concern for the very best interest of his children. This concept of a loving heavenly father provides us with a profound sense of being loved. Everett Fullman, a missionary to the remote tribe of Nigeria, relates the salvation experience of one of the tribal people, and he revealed the awesomeness of this new experience of God with, with God as his father by saying this, Behind this universe stands one God, not a great number of warring spirits, as we'd always believed, but one God, and that one God loves me. What a profound reality that this native found that there was one God, and the one God loves him. And this, of course, needs to be remembered at the end, that it's impossible to come to God as our father unless we are born into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. God doesn't have any grandchildren, just children. And John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right or the authority to become children of God. So in order for God to be your father, you first have to be introduced to him through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and the empty tomb when he rose victoriously the third day. And when we place our faith and our total trust in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and his resurrection and asking him to forgive us of our sin, we turn in repentance from sin to him in faith, we come into the family and he becomes our father. The prayer is based on a relationship with God through faith in Christ, when we begin our prayer, Father, we begin to pray based on an intimate relation with God, that of a father and a child, and he's not an angry judge looking for an opportunity to condemn us. He's our father, and he can be approached on an intimate basis. Having the foundational awareness of God as our father, let's look at a second part of prayer as a habit of grace. Secondly, prayer requires respect. Prayer requires Respect verse 2 of Luke 11, Jesus went on to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you pray, hallowed be your name, you climb into a new level of respect for God and reverence for his person. When Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name, he was telling us to make the presence of God a reality in our lives. His presence, to be reality. Not thinking of him as a far distant God, but a father and a Close relevance to us. It's about putting God on the throne of our lives on earth as he sits upon the throne in heaven. How do we hallow the name of God? We hallow the name of our Father with our lips, both privately and publicly, as well as by our actions. And might I say, I think even more by our actions. If we were to bring you up here this morning and have you sit in a chair, and we were to bring a group of your peers, your neighbors, your work associates, your family, and we were to say, you know, yesterday we had a video camera and we followed so-and-so around and just kind of, they had no idea. It was a candid camera experience. Is there enough evidence to convict that they're a follower of Jesus Christ? That could be convicting for us, couldn't it, if we were having one of those really bad days? And yet, friends, we, we hallow the name of God Not only by our words, but by our very actions. Do we live in such a manner that people know that we belong to Jesus Christ? Even our reactions, if someone's driving with you, (laughs) should be an indicator that you belong to Jesus. That horn is for emergency purposes, all right? You know what the definition of a blink of an eye in 1 Thessalonians is, don't you? That's the moment the light turns green and the person behind you honks their horn. That's in the twinkling of an eye. But our actions should show that we hallow the very name of God. President Lyndon B. Johnson was uh, with his press secretary, Bill Moyers, and Bill was praying for food at a staff lunch, and President Johnson said, speak up, Bill, I can't hear you. Bill Moyers quietly replied to the president, I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. Prayer is a relationship that requires respect. A third thing I see here in the text is that prayer is a a new priority. There's a new priority in the discipline of of prayer that Jesus was outlining for his followers. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Come. The first thing to consider is this, what did Jesus mean when he taught us to pray for his kingdom to come? When we pray your kingdom come, this prayer recognizes that God's kingdom is not presently ruling on this earth. Did you notice that? God is in control, but there is the prince of the power of the air that is at war with us. The tense of this verb come refers to a decisive time in the future when the kingdom will be once and for all. What we're asking when we say your kingdom come is for Jesus to come and establish his kingdom on earth. We're looking forward to the climax of history when God will, his will, will be done and shall be done on this earth. When we pray your kingdom come, we're acknowledging God's right and rule of all people, even those who do not yet call him their father. We dare not to pray for his rule over others unless we honestly desire him to rule over us and submission is such a great part of our daily routine in prayer to humbly come before the Lord there's a boldness to ask with confidence but there's a humility as we hallow his name and we ask for his will to be done when we pray your kingdom come we we are asking that that relationship has respect and a new priority Number four in the text, actually, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6, so you can flip over to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we see that prayer requires submission. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is, is, as it is in heaven. It's unfortunate that millions of individuals have repeated the words, your will be done down through the ages. In churches, in homes, and down through the centuries, they don't have the faintest notion of what God's will is. Even though they pray, "Your will be done." May I tell you this morning what God's will is? God's will is that God's will is that no one would perish, but all would come to repentance. God's first plan in His will for your life is that you come to know Him in personal relationship. And then, beyond that, God's plan and God's will for your life is that you be conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus, and that you be an image-bearer, a reflection of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's God's will for your life, that you come to know him through faith in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection for our sin and turning from uh, sin to him in repentance, in faith, and then for our lives to be transformed and we become like Jesus Christ. That's God's will for your life and for my life. Notice we're not asking God to change his will or to bless your will, we're asking him to help us find his will and do it in our lives. But it's not enough just to know the will of God, we must then apply it and say your will be done, and it's a reality of prayer of submission. The truth is that the cause of all the unrest, frustration, unhappiness, the sense of powerlessness that we experience in our lives can be traced to trying to follow our very own self-will, as opposed to God's will. In the Lord's Prayer, we turn from praying for God's glory to praying for our needs. One of the profound realities of the Christian life is that there's this realization that God cares about the simple day-to-day needs of our lives. So prayer is a relationship, our Father that requires respect, hallowed be your name, that has a new priority, asking for his kingdom to come, and then submission, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And then fifthly, I see here in Matthew chapter 6, that prayer requires dependence. Prayer requires dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. What does that request mean? For the average American, it is what we will eat, not whether we will eat. It means, am I going to Culver's or McDonald's or Burger King or Perkins? What is, what, you know, when we think about asking God for our daily bread, it's not if we're going to eat, <laughs> it's what we're going to eat. And if we're going to be thankful for that which we eat. But for prayer in most of the world, friends, when there's a prayer of give us this day our daily bread, it's a dependence because there's no, no real known as to whether or not there will be a meal. And so to pray, God, give us this day our daily bread is an understanding and relying that that our absolute dependence on God for everything. God made us with needs so that we would have to look to him to supply them. In this prayer for daily bread, bread stands for more than just food. It stands for the physical things that we talk to God about each and every day. God expects us to turn to him every day for the grace sufficient to meet the challenges of each new day. Prayer then, back in Luke chapter 11, if you want to flip back to Luke chapter 11, prayer involves forgiveness. Prayer also involves forgiveness. In Luke eleven four, 4, Jesus said, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who, everyone we ourselves forgive, everyone who is indebted to us. In this model prayer of Jesus teaching us and teaching his disciples how to pray, we've asked the Father for provision, now we're asking him for pardon. (laughs) Father, forgive. And forgive (laughs) follows give. Many of us us are conscious of our need for, for daily bread, but we're utterly unconscious of our need for daily forgiveness if we're sincere when we pray, God, forgive us our sins, then we are openly admitting that we ourselves are guilty of wrongdoing or sin. I love First John 1, 9, which says if we are, if we say we have, 1 John 1, 8, 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I grew up in Newton, Iowa, and I went to Uh, uh, a Christian reformed school the first five years of my educational experience. And I remember one time in fifth grade, I got in trouble and my name was written on the blackboard. And when your name, Jonathan Payne, was written on the blackboard, it meant you didn't go out for recess at lunch. You sat in there with your head down and you contemplated what you did wrong. (laughs) But I loved at the end of the day Because then after lunch, Miss Bootsma, my teacher, she'd come over and she'd erase the names of all of us who had done our penance or whatever, you know, sitting in in our seats after lunch. She'd erase our names from the blackboard, but you could still see, right, underneath, you could see your name. But I loved at the end of the day, one of the things that we always did was we got water and we washed the blackboard. And then no more was Jonathan Payne's that one time seen underneath after even being erased. And that's on a greater degree what God does. He remembers to forget our transgressions. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed them. As far as the deepest part of the ocean, he's taken our sins and remembered to forget them. And God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. you're walking in guilt this morning... God offers forgiveness. He says if we ask him, he will forgive us of our sins. And friends, the only thing that hampers our prayer is what it says in Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. What hampers my prayer, what hampers your prayer? Sin, unconfessed sin, does not allow our prayers to be heard by a Heavenly Father who's waiting and wanting to hear that relationship with you. Ray Stedman tells a story of one man's explanation of his lack of forgiveness. The man said, I know I'm a Christian, but someone did this awful thing to me and I just can't forget and forgive. Pastor Ray said to him, are you sure you can't forgive? <laughs> he says, yes, I can't forgive. As they continue to talk, he says, I've found that often we use the word can't when we really mean won't. This brother walked away and later came back and said to Pastor Ray, you're right, I won't forgive. It's not I can't. Will you pray with me that I can forgive this individual who's wronged me? It's really true that you cannot forgive if our hearts cause us to be in a place of unforgiveness. Well, let me just quickly quickly give the last prayer teaching that Jesus gives us in this, this habit of grace Prayer brings protection. In verse 4 it says, and lead us not into temptation. In the preceding petition forgives our sins, the request was that sins already committed might be forgiven. And now we have a place to be delivered from falling into new sin. Lord, deliver us from temptation. In James chapter 1, verse 13, we realize that temptation does not come from God. Temptation comes from other sources. It says in James 1:13, God does not tempt anyone so in conclusion this morning jesus gives us this blueprint for prayer i want to challenge you to use this prayer uh this week and to recognize that prayer is a relationship that requires respect a new priority a submission to god dependence forgiveness and protection and let me just give you some practical takeaways i believe that there is time that you can schedule prayer um Have a time during the day where maybe it's uh, 11 minutes after 11 or 12 after 12 on your lunch hour that you you say, I'm going to pray for some specific needs at this time. Sticky notes that will maybe remind you to pray on your dash or on your mirror. I like to put sticky notes for my wife when I'm traveling away on the mirror and et cetera. And she leaves them up there. So that's kind of cool. But writing a sticky note is a reminder to pray When you're asked to pray for someone or given a prayer request, let me encourage you to say, when someone says, will you pray for me for this, will you pray immediately for them? Put your hand on them and pray for them immediately. And what that does is brings the Holy Spirit into the equation and he will bring to remembrance what you're to pray for. So the next time someone says, will you pray for me, say, let's do that right now because I have a horrible memory and the Holy Spirit will remind me what to pray for. A prayer journal where you put the request and then you write the date when God answers. I had a dear friend this last week who was uh, a week and a half ago called and said, my son just got let go from the University of North Carolina. He was the offensive coordinator in the football team. He says, pray, Keith and me need a job. We prayed together. And then he left a voicemail saying that his son had been hired at Arkansas State as a new offensive coordinator and that his head coach is a Christ follower. And he left it on my voicemail and I said, I got a call Bart back. And we tend to pray and thank God for answered prayer. So when you pray with someone and God answers prayer, don't forget to say thank you. We do that with our children. Let's make sure we do that with our father, that we say thank you when he answers prayer. Then finally, you know, worship music is so powerful. Having a good way to prepare our hearts when we hear uh, music and songs that are from Scripture that help us as it relates to prayer. Prayer is a wonderful discipline. It's part of that relationship with our Father, where we respect, where we pray for his will to be done, his kingdom to come, for our daily bread, for release from sin in terms of protection. And God is faithful to do all of those things as we have that relationship in prayer with him. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for Jesus this morning how he has transformed our lives. He's made us into something different. He desires to make us into his image. And Father, this morning, how I pray and how I ask for these dear ones here this morning, that God, that they might enter into this relationship aspect of prayer. And God, that they might have wonderful times of relationship with you as they walk through life. And I pray, knowing in a group this size lord there are things that are on the hearts and on the 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 minds of individuals that are carrying loads and i pray god that they can cast their care upon you because you care for them we pray all this in the precious name of jesus and all god's people said amen